Previously on Doorward Thinking, we mentioned the blurring of lines between our work and the rest of our lives. Lockdowns and quarantines over the past two years have really thrust our work life and home life into a giant blender, and many times it can be hard to tell where one stops and the other begins. In reality, though, the blending of these once discrete parts of life have been occurring for years with mobile phones, email, and the general ability, which many feel has evolved into an expectation, to be reachable and take care of work issues at all times. In today's episode, we'll discuss what it's like to live in the work-life blender and give some practical methods for setting boundaries to be intentional and present wherever we find ourselves. Welcome to another episode of Doorward Thinking. Welcome to The Blender, listeners. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, and I'm back with the team seeking better ways to think about life and work. Each week, we'll open a new door in our search for clarity as we consider the intersections of art, science, and the human spirit. Here today in the St. Louis studio is my friend, the igniter, Stephen Eitz. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, hey, Nate. Welcome to another day in paradise. Also here is the Danimal of this brick and concrete jungle, Daniel Jacobison, a.k.a. Jake. Welcome to the show, Jake. Good to be here, dude. And finally, from the home of Lifesavers Candy, Cleveland, Ohio, our very own Lifesaver, Peter Costanzo. Welcome to the show, Pete. Thanks, Nate. Glad to, glad to be on the show again. Sorry I couldn't be there in person. I, I thought you were going to pop out of nowhere this time, honestly. I wanted to do another surprise, but I knew that you guys would be expecting it, so I figured I'd I'd lean the other way this time. <laughs> well, I you know here's the issue: I had to throw him back in the phone booth and kind of back into the ocean. It didn't <laughs> stop us from looking under the table, behind the doors, etc. No, as soon as soon as Jake showed up in his truck, I looked in the passenger seat and in the bed and everything. All right, so what did you guys think of your superhero names? Do I got to work on them? Uh, not the first time I've been called an animal, so could be better, could be worse. I'm in. <laughs> Pete? You can call me anything. All right. Well, I guess that maybe I just have heroes on my mind. We're recording this right after Veterans Day. So uh, a very big thank you to all of you veterans listening. I know there are a few of you out there. Uh, we appreciate your service to our country and applaud you as real heroes, so thank you. So in last week's episode, Disrupting the Work-Life Balance, we touched on a lot of great points that people need to consider when seeking harmony or equilibrium or whatever you're searching for, such as culture's obsession with student loan to car to home and whatever you have in your path that leaves many people in debt for years, being present and intentional with our time, and the importance of genuine relationships. One topic that I think needs greater exploration is the need for boundaries. There are times when strict boundaries are absolutely needed, and there are other times when we need to be more accommodating. There's no hard and fast rule, so the question becomes when to fortify or relax that boundary. A recent LinkedIn poll highlights the importance of this question. The poll asked if it was okay for a manager to contact staff outside of work hours, and this is in response to Portugal instituting a new law, making it illegal for an employee to be contacted by a superior after work. So uh, I just checked, and at the time of this recording, there's over 15,000 respondents. 17% say that, yes, it is okay to be contacted, and it's not a big deal. 33% say, 
no, it's not okay, and that boundaries are needed. And 50% say it is okay, but only for emergencies. So half of the people are opting for this third choice, essentially saying it depends. So opening this up to the group, what are your thoughts on these results? I'd say that's a tough call. That question's so hard. How How is somebody from work not supposed to contact you when you're not at work? Like, even if it's just like something like, oh, hey, I need to schedule more hours or something. I need more people to come in. Like, there's going to be situations where you're working shifts, you know, where it's going to be okay to contact outside of work. When when people say only for emergencies, there are things outside of a real emergency that are necessary for workflow? Yeah, absolutely. Along those lines, I wonder if uh, part of that blend that we're seeing, even in the poll results, is what is the expectation for a response? I can be contacted after hours, so to speak, but you know, don't expect to get a response right away. And I'd like to understand a little bit more, too, about the, the folks that were polled. What type of job do they have? Is it, a, you know, is it an hourly job where they're required to clock in and clock out? Because then that, that makes a little bit more sense. But also, you know, you have full-time salary positions where you're really not committed via a time clock to a certain amount of hours. So that, that would be something interesting to look at, too. You know, if you're full-time salary... I would say, you know, it, it's it's okay to contact me after business hours, but on the flip side, it should be okay for me to handle things that I need to handle, you know, inside the the business hours. So it's kind of a two-way street, but I, I see why they would not want to do that. 10 o'clock at night and your boss is calling you, that could disrupt some of the work-life harmony that people are looking for. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um I say it all the time, there doesn't seem to be a one-size-fits-all to this. It's really dependent on the type of work that you do and what your team dynamic is like. For instance, here in startup, things can shift on a dime, whether it's a quick meeting or a phone call, something that needs to happen. I think the team does a really good job of keeping things within business hours, but sometimes it's malleable what we need to do. Yeah, whatever we mean by those business hours, when I wake up in the morning and turn my phone on, and Pete's already been sending messages since 4 a.m., uh, <laughs> you know, is that business hours, Pete? I mean, it's it's business hours for me, and I think when if we're looking at it through the lens of work-life equilibrium, Nate had mentioned, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Like, for my, for my situation with Leo... I'm going to be a lot more effective between 4.30 and in the morning and 8 o'clock before Leo gets up than I am, you know, from 8 to noon when I'm chasing him around the house. And then also on the back end of that, there's some late hours when his eyes are closed and I can I can get in and be effective. I feel like I can get into a work rhythm. It just varies for everybody's situation but we talked about this before everybody should be able to be in a position where they weave those two parts together that works best for them so for this for this no response on the poll uh, the way that it was written it said no boundaries are needed what are some of those boundaries that you think are over the line as i was saying before the line is crossed when that item that's being requested or the directive that's being given is not of an urgent nature, and it could have been done another way, for example, sending an email or putting it in the project management system or 
it doesn't matter if like if you want to get it out of your court into somebody else's court there are ways to do that but i think when we talk about you know being contacted we're talking about some personal means of communication so is there expectation of a response of to a non-urgent thing and how did that person choose to outreach for that non-urgent thing obviously there's kind of a couple of factors in here which would go into whether this boundary line is being crossed do you think a supervisor who's making the request should be cognizant of what the employee has going on? Or is that something that is separate and they just need to trust and say, hey, this is something that is urgent or maybe this is something that is not urgent? When you can get to it, even if it's the next day, this is here on your agenda. Is that realistic? I think it's absolutely up to the supervisor or you know, I would say company leadership to define communication channels that respect uh, supervisees' work-life harmony. By way of example, you know, Steve instituted Discord here at Doorward. So while we may have our personal text messages available to us, you know, at any given moment, we have the ability to turn off Discord, protect you know, those hours, for example. So it's absolutely in the court of the supervisor or corporation to be thinking this far in advance to even create the ability for boundaries for any employee. Delving a little bit deeper into this, I looked into Portugal's new law, and it's called the Right to Rest Law. It says that companies with over 10 employees will incur fines each time they contact a worker outside of their contracted work hours. In addition, they now have to pay for the utilities of at-home workers consumed during their contract hours. Employees with children can now work from home without employer permission until their youngest child turns eight. And finally, there are new guidelines to curb worker loneliness and they say employers should arrange for a face-to-face -face meeting every two months. It sounds like they're doing good things, but do you think that it's the government's responsibility to be championing this? Absolutely not, no. This is, we need, there needs to be a balance of communication with people and their employers. I understand how when things get consolidated in industries, you might wanna like fight back and you have to unionize or something you know, so in some cases, it does make sense in some industries and in some aspects, it could be okay to start putting into place some guidelines, but ultimately it should come down to the employer and the employee who are coming into a contract together. Well, it's hard to legislate things that are so very complicated. To put this in perspective, in our industry, we're talking about small business America here. And to paint a picture real quick, you know, when you walk down any residential street and you see you know, that for sale sign or sold sign under contract sign by some real estate agent, if you look at the bottom of these signs, it doesn't matter if it's equity real estate or Keller Williams, Coldwell Banker, it'll say each office is individually owned and operated. Right Now, that means you're talking about very small businesses like these are entrepreneurs responsible for putting food on the table and in most cases all these small businesses are not just work right these are family businesses in many cases whether it's real estate or your average contracting firm 
family members are working together in many areas. And so to say, here you have a real estate agency and it's son, mother, and sister-in-law. Your average real estate office is probably five, 10 people and their family. So how is, if you institute this law, how are they going to prevent like family members from contacting family members? This is sticky, right? And, and what? Oh, you know, my sister-in-law, you know, reached out to me after hours. How are we going to legislate that? One of the other things that this brings up to me is the idea of locus of control that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Definitely, when we're talking about like seizing control and setting the boundary, it's something that we need to take initiative on, whether it's the employee going to the employer and saying, hey, these are my needs, or the employer reaching out to the employee and saying, these are the expectations. Those two parties can come to an agreement, right? I think that those two parties have the capability, and because they have a capability to do that, they should be able to figure out whatever works for them without having outside regulation. Because as we just saw in the poll, there there are a decent number of people who say it's okay to be contacted during their off hours. Right. I mean, like I said before, I think I would be one of those those people, but my stipulation would be we can connect off hours, but we should be able to disconnect <laughs> during hours, right? In a two-way street. Portugal is trying to live in 3021, but they're, you know, they're trying to do that through legislating human decency. It, you know, Dan made a bunch of points on this. I mean, it's it's a little obscure. You know, if you're working in a family business, like Dan said, how do you I mean that's on the employee, me, to tell my sister-in-law, like, yeah, don't call me. You know, Nate, you talked about the employer and the employee coming together, but I think really it falls mostly on the employee because the the harsh reality is that the employer is going to get everything that they can out of the employee, you know, to try to make that relationship benefit them. Yeah, I wouldn't step over that. It absolutely like employees definitely should step up and say something. If if the boundaries being crossed and, you know, things are going sideways, just be open and honest as much as, you know, as you are able to. At the same time, I think it is on the employers to be cognizant, right, of this whole person, right, that's bringing their whole self to to do this work work, right? And has other work as well, as we talked about a couple of episodes. That's not just the things you're getting paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Pete, you said, don't call me or, like, call me, but I might not pick up. <laughs> so to summarize, it's 100% on the business owners and it's 100% on the employees. Boom. I think that's fair. I mean, when I was brought onto the team, I was specifically told multiple times when I was making the decision if this doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for us. And I felt that I was being valued by having the choice to say, you know what, this is going to work for me or this isn't going to work for me. And, and I, had the, I had the opportunity and the time to weigh what my life was like, what I wanted it to be like, and whether being on this team was going to help me achieve my larger goals in life. And the thing is here, it's not a static thing. Okay, so it worked for you, you came on board, that doesn't mean it's always going to work for you. So if at some point it no longer works for you, that's it. And we're seeing, we talked about a couple episodes ago, you know, the great resignation. 
people are, are, are making this choice. This no longer works for me. I'm going to put myself in a new situation. I actually learned that line from my old boss when I was quitting that job to go full-time for Doorward. He says, look, if, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for us. So the communication between employee and employer is one of the boundaries that can be set and, as we've seen, can fluctuate depending on the need. There are other kinds of boundaries. A lot of people have had to think about moving into working from home. Some of those boundaries are boundaries of space, like setting up a dedicated workspace, time, saying I have dedicated work hours even though they are at home with family members, children, pets, whatever is going on in their home life, and their reachability, whether they're available to be contacted and respond at any given time. For instance, when I'm editing these episodes, that's my don't contact me time. I'm going to get this done, right? right? And everybody acknowledges and honors that, which I appreciate, among other boundaries that need to be set. So space, time, reachability. Completely blurred now, now that you're working from home too. How does this all balance? Well, absolutely. So I, I have some statistics here. This is Pew Research done at the end of last year, found that prior to the lockdowns, 20% of American workers were working from home. And that rose to 71%. And of those who are working at home now, 54% say that they want to continue working from home when everything ends. When everybody deems it safe and everybody's comfortable, 54% of people say they want to continue working from home. People are having problems with the transition. The hardest part of the transition seems to be feeling motivated to do the work. Not even talking about space or their work time, it's just the motivation that they're feeling at the home office. 36% are having trouble feeling motivated when they work at home. And these happen to be mostly younger workers who have just entered the workforce recently. And then the following difficulties are being interrupted. So 32% of people have problems being interrupted. And 23% of people say they don't have an adequate workspace. Fall into all of those categories. All of those statistics translated for me. Well, how do you um, deal with it then? It's fluid. And I have to wake up and know that it's going to be fluid, expect that, and improvise, adapt, and overcome. And is it a framing thing? So instead of feeling frustrated by that fluidity, is it better to embrace it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can't let it frustrate you. I mean, what there's there's few alternatives. If I let it frustrate me, it's just going to take away from productivity in any facet of the day. So it's just, you know, rolling with the punches, as they say. Yeah, yeah. One of the ones that really hit me was interruptions. One on a bad day, those interruptions are annoying and frustrating and debilitating almost. You know, why can I not get this work done? Well, it's because, you know, you start to blame it on those interruptions. And actually, a mentor of mine, he's like, Jake, the life of a CEO is constant interruptions. And it can hit me like, oh, yeah, that's true, right? And so as we think about this blender, we can look at, and actually this is from something called Optimal Work, another great podcast out there. If that thing is worth interrupting you, 
then it's worth interrupting you 100%. So you could put your whole attention towards that thing. That's uh, easier said than done sometimes, right? That I'm being interrupted, but I don't want to be interrupted. I'm supposed to be focused on these things that, that I want to do. And so obviously this is like that fluidity that you were talking about, Pete. Choosing, you know, how do I deal with this, right? Or how, do I, how will I deal with the same type of interruption in the future? Will I, you know, go into deep work mode and, and, and put the phone in airplane mode for this type of activity, like when you're editing the podcast? Or will I, I continue to allow it to interrupt me because that type of interruption is okay and, and I, I want to be interrupted for that sort of thing because I, I value that person or that particular type of interruption? So we're, you're, you're essentially assessing kind of on the fly, you're assessing the consequences or the result of pivoting to the interruption, right? Realizing that no one is going to be in grave danger, that it's okay to be pulled off of something that you were focused on before when the interruption happens, kind of, you know, the, the gears are turning, you're kind of assessing that on the fly. sounds like. On the fly, but also retrospective. If somebody has reached out to you, whether it's poking the head in the office, the home office, or calling you on the phone, you're, you're all of a sudden, yeah, your attention has already been taken off the task at hand, and you're looking at the, you know, <laughs> the phone vibrating, you know, and ringing, seeing that name, you know, oh, this is this is an important person, oh, this is somebody I love, and should I stop what I'm doing and, and take my attention off of this thing and put it on another thing? So. Some, some it's in the fly, and other things it's, it's reactive, right? So delving into some practical ways to set boundaries, I had a conversation with one of our listeners, uh, Natalie L., who's been working from home since the start of the first lockdowns in March 2020. And she's been quite successful during this period, being promoted a couple of times. Here's what she had to say about how boundaries have helped her transition to working from home. I've been working from home since about mid-March of 2020 when my company had announced that all office employees would be going home with their equipment. And initially, it was quite a transition. The one thing, of course, is it's a shorter commute. (laughs) So I'm not having to travel to and from home to the office And for me, what has been successful in my transition period and current time as an at-home employee with my company is I elected to develop a weekly routine for myself to create some sort of normalcy. For me, that has been exercising in the morning before I go into work. As far as with a workspace at my place, which is part of the success that I've had as an at-home employee, is I've made sure that my workspace is dedicated to one area of my place and doesn't flow or go into other respective parts of where I reside. So that I've had one particular location that I know is going to be set up for work-related purposes and other areas of my home are more dedicated toward or part of my lifestyle. So as long as there's a boundary between setting up where you work and essentially where you live, because they do tend to kind of overlap, that's what's helped me 
um, separate between the two to have that work-life balance. Thank you for sharing that, Natalie, and congratulations on your success. Just thinking about some of the boundaries that she's mentioned, one of the things that we talked about very frequently in medical school was sleep hygiene, especially in our family medicine rotation. And one of the big ones was making sure that you didn't bring electronics into your sleep space. Mm. So sounds like what Natalie's doing by having that dedicated space for work and not bringing that electronic capability into her sleep space is a solid boundary because it's very easy to have a phone or a laptop, whether it's playing a game or listening to music, that can detract from what that space is for and really can screw with your psychological concept of what's supposed to be happening at this place at a specific time. So there was a book I read, Nate, um, a while ago. It's on my bookshelf. It's called The Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman. And he proposed in this book that we use triggers when we head into different scenarios and we have these transition periods. So you want to optimize those transition periods as you're leaving one realm, identity, or whatever you want to label that as. And as you enter a new one, you want to attach something new. Like, could just be tossing on the sneakers. Something as simple as that. Oh, wow, I'm an athlete or running mode. So, boom, I'm out the door running because I put my shoes on. But there's little triggers that we can use um, our psychology and hack our psychology getting into optimal states. There was one part of the book that he was talking about how um, when he would come home from work, uh, I actually don't remember if it was a ring or what specific item, but he would put it on before we would get into the house just in it, and he would, you know, take that time, you know, to think about his family and like the type of person he is and who he wants to be with his family so that he can make the most impactful time when he's actually with them. That's super interesting, Steve. I think, um, I think there's a lot of people out there that have those triggers in their life and they probably don't even think about them as that or recognize them explicitly as a trigger to shift into a different realm. Personally, I have a pair of boots and a jacket that when I put on, I can tell you I'm probably not going to sit down and type up an email. I'm going to go outside and do hard physical labor. That's a realm that I enter when that happens. But I think there's a ton of people that have something, whether it's like, like you said, a pair of sneakers or just a moment in the day where they just transform and they're in a different universe, so to speak. Yeah, they've um, got that's... they've got all these layers on their onion covering their core, and then yeah. you know that gets blurred. Ogres are like onions. I, I go more for the parfait, but that's <laughs> that's just me. Everybody likes parfait. <laughs> Does anybody else have a trigger, an item, or a ritual that they do when they are transitioning from one state of the day to another state? The one that I use the most um, is called an alarm. I transition <laughs> from a realm of sleeping to being fully awake and then engaging in my morning routine. So that that one's really popular for me. I thought for sure somebody was going to have a witty comeback on that one. <laughs> I had something. I held it back, though. Come on, Steve. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it's okay. It's okay. It's past. The time has passed. <laughs> Missed opportunity. But no, in all seriousness, the dinner table 
is one for for our family. Um, you know, you talked about no phone zones, right? The dinner table is one of them where it's just like that's that's our moment where we're like in a bubble, right? Eating dinner, sharing stories about the day, laughing, right? Leo's making funny faces. You know, maybe we're making some plans for the week, but it's all real life, human interaction, communication, eyes up, looking at each other. So that's a, that's a big one for us. Yeah, I, that kind of gets back to what Portugal is trying to accomplish with this right to rest, because ultimately that rest is helpful even for your working, right? We'll be our best selves. We're going to bring the, that best self to all these different activities like we've been talking about, you know, if there's this harmony. Yeah, that's what Steve was saying last week when he said that the harmony is in the key relationships, relationship with your manager or supervisor yep important relationships with your friends and family important everywhere everywhere you have another human connection is absolutely important whether you know that person or they are a stranger i think that gets to one of the dynamics of the home office which is people respecting relationships so for example the interruptions that i get when somebody sees that I'm on the phone or on a video conference call are much, much, much less than the ones where I'm interacting with my you know, phone or my computer or some papers on my desk. Dan's clearly reviewing a contract. Very easy to interrupt. Dan's on a conference call, not going to interrupt him. And, and so we see even that those other relationships are important to your point. One of the other things that Natalie mentioned that's been really important for her is her exercise time. Uh, I really relate to that because I try to get some exercise time in. Lately, I've been a little bit out of commission because I hurt my wrist. But before, it was punching bag, weight rack downstairs, and running around the neighborhood. Uh, lately, it's been mostly running. But being able to have that time to be physically active was a great way to start my day and get my blood flowing and gave me something to really look forward to getting out of bed in the morning. That's awesome, man. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. The first thing that I do every day, within 10 minutes of my alarm going off, I'm definitely getting outside. Rain, snow, shine, and doing my interval sprints. It doesn't take that long. Super important for how I start the day. Uh, fortunately, probably too many times I'm already thinking about work during those sprints. I can't even control like the home office in my brain, much less the environment around me, the external environment. However, uh, it does do a lot. I, I, do, I, I definitely don't like a work day without that. So how I usually kick off my days is I usually get up and the first thing I immediately do is I get to my desk and I actually start writing. Um, used to be with pen and paper, but I switched to doing most of my stuff on the computer and taking notes just directly. And I'm just trying to be as creative as possible. I've usually got a million things running through my mind in the morning. So that's that's usually the first thing that I wake up and that kind of is that spice to life in the morning. Yeah, I'm with Steve on this one. Exercising the mind via writing is, you know, one of the things that I like to do early on in the day just to get an outlook on it. Um, you know, I'll wake up, 
I'll get a cup of water in, start brewing coffee, getting some things ready for Leo, but sitting down with the, the planner and taking a look at notes from past days, reassessing some things maybe that are lingering and just wrapping my head around what could be for the day or, you know, now I'm doing the the week. So I shifted from doing it day to day to now, you know, looking at the the week and seeing the fluctuations. But that is super helpful for me to get those thoughts out of my brain on the paper so that if I do engage in some physical activity, you know, I'm mentally committed to that. I'm not letting fret of, you know, where things creep in. I think that's a helpful tactic, Steve. I totally agree with that. Well, aren't you Mr. Effective? So another conversation I had recently was one with my parents. This past time, I had the chance to ask my father, Claude, who's a high school teacher, about his experiences teaching from home. And now that he's back in the classroom, how he's had to readapt. When the lockdown began in March of 2020, I'd been a high school teacher for 39 years. We were given a week to prepare for distance learning. I had to learn how to use new technologies, but also how to use them to best communicate with my students and assess their learning. The first couple of months were tough, but since school was over in May, I had the summer to reflect on my experiences and reconfigure my online learning environment. So during the 2020-2021 school year, I grew to enjoy and even prefer some aspects of distance learning. Most of my students seemed happy and many were learning better than I expected. I was saving about an hour to an hour and a half of commuting time each day and saving on gas and other car expenses. The extra time allowed my wife and daughter and I to spend more time together, and I was able to finish two writing projects and enroll in a second MA program with the money I was saving. When it was announced we would be returning to in-person instruction in the spring of 2021, I was hesitant to go back, but had to. Being back in the classroom has had many joys, but also some drawbacks. With my distance learning experience, I can more clearly see how the traditional 30-student classroom is not always conducive to meeting each student's educational needs. To address this, I've incorporated many of the things I've learned from teaching online to the classroom. I've discovered that I'm a successful online instructor and in some ways prefer it. I may seek to teach online after I retire from in-person teaching. For me, the advantages of working from home outweigh going to work. I've learned how technology can be both useful and detrimental to my well-being. My hope is that schools will create opportunities where more teachers and students can participate in alternative modes of instruction that enhance learning and reduce some of the stress of modern life. Thanks a lot for that, Dad. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show at some point and maybe in studio when you visit next summer. So one of the things that I think my dad's perspective illustrates is that the extra time at home has given many people significant leisure time back and has given them the ability to enjoy family relationships, pursue education, and finish passion projects. Going back to this Pew Research article, four out of 10 workers say that their work can be done from home, and it seems to increase with the level of education that people have. 
That's four in ten overall, but fifty-eight percent of workers who have bachelor's degrees and sixty-eight percent of workers with postgrad degrees say that their work is better done at home. So, do we need to reassess which jobs can be done remotely and which need to be done in person? Robots. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I was I waiting for that. Aren't we in a time when we need to be constantly? assessing that don't we think that time is now i mean between dan shouting out robots and steve being able to predict the future i think that's something that we should always be looking for i mean we're headed in that direction it seems so an event like all of these lockdowns could be an impetus for that reassessment we just reassessed for a year and a half right well even be even more than that now i think we were you know that was ojt right a whole bunch of jobs that were never remote before became remote. And all of those companies that had their employees go remote, most of them are still around. So it, it forces us to take a step back and go, wow, do we need to scrap traditional thinking on what the work week looks like and where people should be working? I would say those events have forced our hand. I do think that there have been, and, and we see this a lot with our, our customers, so many people that already had that home office, some real estate brokerages, haven't used offices for years, you know, your average contractor, whether you're a plumber, HVAC technician, all kinds of these these small operations, they're using the home office, you know, for years because you're either on the job or you're just taking care of a little paperwork at home or you're working in your van parked in your driveway or somebody else's driveway. That's the reality of the situation. This can be opportunity for everyone. I'm thinking now of a friend of mine. He's dual landlord and general contractor. He's he has worked from home significantly more since the lockdown. What has that experience been for him? Well, he was telling me one of the biggest things is his wife is really happy to have him around the house, and he's had to try to manage, you know, in that relationship those interruptions, right, or those distractions, right, from being at home. And it's really cool to hear him talk about it because he is is looking for that that harmony, looking for that effectiveness. Yeah, Pete, you've brought up your son several times in today's chat already. So with the ability to work from home and be with him, what has that meant to you? It's everything. You know, I think often about my childhood and what that looked like with my father. And I mean, he did a great job, but he didn't have the same opportunity that I have to be present almost constantly in my son's life. So, I mean, that is for me, that's just like world changing. That's just a one generation jump and it's a totally different ball game. I mean, there's things that I'm going to be able to do with Leo at a very young age that my dad just didn't have the opportunity to do because of the corporate environment and how that was structured. Work from home was not in the picture. He was sending telegrams. The statistics are clear, Pete, and I'm super happy you're getting this experience. Super happy for Leo to be getting this experience more so than than you. Sorry, buddy. Uh <laughs> The statistics are clear how critical a time period this is in terms of, you know, developmental stages. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Nate, you probably know a lot more about this stuff than I do. <laughs> so, but it's great. It's great for Leo. The guy is going to be a boy prodigy probably. 
The only sure thing he's so. going to do is piss excellence. That's all I know. <laughs> the good thing he wears diapers because he seems to do that a lot. Oh, just wait till you get to the potty training stage. <laughs> One interesting statistic that the Pew Research article had was saying that four out of ten working mothers say that it's harder to balance their work and their family responsibilities now that they're working at home and three out of every 10 working fathers. So, Pete, it seems like I'm picking on you a lot, but you mentioned earlier all of those difficult categories that people face. You are in that blender every day. Mm -hmm. What have been the difficult parts of having to balance your work life and your family life at the same time every day? I think one of the biggest challenges has been going from and it's it's I still vividly remember it pre fatherhood where I could just churn work like there was no there was no tomorrow because my interruptions were super limited right but now I have a young life I'm responsible for I guess it's just shifting my mindset over from grind 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 to now it's a lot more dynamic like I talked about before uh, fluid where. You know, I have to ebb and flow. I can't just put my nose on the grindstone and go, you know, for for 10 hours. I have to be cognizant that someone is dependent on me. So I might have to pick my head up every once in a while and look and make sure that he's okay, right? That he's not getting into, you know, the kitchen cabinets or something. So that's been the biggest challenge is just shifting from having that ability to just go straight through a workday to now really thinking about priorities, organization right? What my day looks like. And that's, it's hard to shift how you do something for so long and just completely change it. But even though you've had to make those changes, would you say that the enjoyment of having that time and being cognizant of how you spend it with him is better than life pre-fatherhood? A hundred percent even beyond 100%. I mean, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be able to be in a situation where I can be a father and work hard and mix them together and everything is still okay. Like, I love that. I think that just goes back to what we've been talking about in some of the previous episodes, looking at ourselves and looking at others as these whole people, right, who are trying to live happy and, and wanting that for them, right? And seeing that they're on a journey to, to find that and therefore giving them the space to take that journey, right? To seek the fulfilling of obligation towards family, to seek the fulfilling of obligation, you know, towards employer, to seek the fulfilling of obligation towards friends, other relationships, customers. Here, we will be taken care of. We, we will be okay, right? We'll be at peace, mm -hmm. continue down this journey, total happiness. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've taken away from going through this growth period is that pre-fatherhood thinking that if, you know, if I stopped working to focus on something else, there would be something grave, you know, a, a negative consequence, maybe severe, you know, severely negative, but just going through this and learning that's not the case, right? There's only so much that can unravel in a day. And so that's that's been a big part of this journey is being able to identify that. That's amazing. I just keep coming back to what we've talked about before with relationships being key, making sure that those relationships are taken care of, 
that as an individual, our needs are taken care of and thinking about what is the just thing to do in this situation. It's not a formula, but it's a guideline for establishing and identifying the priorities that lend to fulfillment. I was about to say charitable, but actually then I realized, you know, justice is a form of charity, so to speak. And therefore, in each moment, we can try to do that just thing. And part of that justice is making sure that we're taken care of as an individual and that we are able to put effort into those individual relationships. So as we wrap this up, let's go around the table and maybe give one or two practical activities or ideas that help you throughout the day that a listener might be able to adopt. Steve, do you have a couple? Yeah, that first tip would be to set time to focus in on deep work or um, focus in on executing your job such that like you don't have any distractions in your way, whether that's a phone buzzing and you know you wanting to pick that up or um, you know an email notification coming through. Make sure that all your distractions are turned off and like really focus in on the work that you're trying to do at that moment. The other piece of advice, number two, would be really take time to review your day and review where you're going. What have you completed and how can you be more effective the next? So make sure you go through that task list of, you know, hey, here's what I accomplished today. Here's what I set out to do. Here's what I didn't get to do. Here's what I'm going to carry over to tomorrow. And, you know, moving towards your goals every day. The first thing that I would recommend is discipline your mind. Finding time, whether it's at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, the middle, get everything between your ears sorted out so that you can get through the day. I mean, I, I think it really helps, Steve, what you talked about. Just, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, planning, journaling, it's tremendously effective. And then the second one, and maybe even more important, is practicing the ability to adapt, right? We live in this dynamic, fluid, work-from-home environment with distractions. Be okay with adapting. So a couple things that stand out to me that I brought up once earlier was sleep hygiene. So great practices for making sure that you get a, a good, solid, reliable night's sleep include putting those electronics away at least an hour before sleep, but probably a little bit more. Making sure that your sleep space is quiet, is dark, has a comfortable temperature. And one of the little things that I learned was avoiding things like coffee, we know, stimulant will keep you up, but also avoiding alcohol. Coming back from the depressant state of alcohol in the middle of the night can disrupt your sleep. The other piece of advice that I would give, and, and I think it goes hand in hand, is getting outside. Uh, we've all heard that places like casinos and supermarkets don't have clocks. They don't have windows except for maybe the front. So you are in this artificially lit environment, and it can be hard to notice the natural cues of the ebbs and flows of the day with sunlight. So get outside and 
take some time, 15, 20 minutes here or there or a longer chunk throughout the day just to unplug and enjoy the sunlight, the breeze, and put things back into perspective. We are not tied to our phones. We are not tied to our computers. We are living, breathing beings who have a very natural quality to us. It's important to recognize that in a natural environment. I don't know why you're looking at me. I'm learning. I got a long way to go before I'm effective. Well, thank you, everybody. Those are great tips. Listeners, I hope that you find those useful. We're not experts in all these techniques, but these are things that we've personally found help us. So if you think they might be helpful, by all means, try it out. Or if you have other methods that work for you, go ahead and shoot us an email at podcastatdoor.com so we can go ahead and continue this conversation. I think that'll wrap it up for us here today. So, Pete, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your time. We know it's a little bit later in Cleveland. Yeah, that's okay. I love being here with you guys, whether in person or remote. It's uh, it's always a great time. Thanks, Nate. Welcome to the weekend. I think you're going to have to change that one. That's but... <laughs> that bad. Well, no, because we release on Tuesday. Uh... <laughs> Welcome to Tuesday. That's your thing. I can't say that. This was awesome. Looking forward to another great conversation next week. I'm so grateful to be here. That's Steve the Igniter hinting at next week's episode, which is going to be a very special Thanksgiving edition of Doorward Thinking, where we'll discuss gratitude and share what makes this national holiday one we look forward to each year. To make sure you catch every new episode of this show, Like, share, and subscribe to Doorward Thinking on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you want to join in this great conversation, send us your contributions or ideas at podcast at doorward.com, and we may even share them in a future episode. We read and respond to every comment and question. If you can't wait, more great Doorward Thinking content from the whole team is available on the Doorward Thinking blog at doorward.com slash doorwardthinking. And if you or someone you know is interested in real estate or Doorward, please visit or recommend Doorward.com and check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding you to set those boundaries and take care of your relationships and get back to living.